Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a pretty interesting book. It's uh, one of those books that I reckon I've only up until now only spent a, a little bit of time reading. And um, the more that I delve into this book, the more that I, I love it because it is so practical. It has this beautiful picture of marrying up uh, all these great truths that we have in Jesus and the gospel and then uh, with our duty as Christians on how we are now supposed to live. And um, we, we, we jump into Ephesians here in chapter 4, which is smack bang right in the middle of this, uh, this book, this six-chapter book. And it is at the tipping point from when Paul starts talking about what we are supposed to do as Christians. And it, he says there, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You see, whenever you're reading um, a book by Paul, so that could be Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, whenever he is, or Philippians, whenever you're reading his stuff and he puts in there, therefore, it is really important to pay attention as to where he goes next. Because what he does is he uses therefore, it's kind of like, do you remember when you're doing maths at high school and they would do that like triple dot thing, you know, like uh, 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 that thing? And it's like summarizing. So in summary, you know, therefore, it is this. What Paul is doing is when he he puts this therefore, he is bringing about the change uh, in, in the scripture. So we should pay attention. So he says there, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. He is pointing us back to everything that he had talked about up until this point. He's, he's, he's laid out all of these truths in front of them, and he's like, this is, this is everything. You know, this is the doctrine of everything that I've had to say. Now, because of this, how are you supposed to live? Now, we as the church, it's pretty important for us to kind of get our head around this before we go any further. So what does Paul teach us in the, the chapters beforehand? Now, because of time, you know, I won't read it in detail, but what Paul is virtually laying out can be summarized perfectly in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. It says, for, gra- for by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He, he, it is all brilliantly summarized in this, that you were once lost, and as Paul says, you were dead in your sins, separated from God. No hope at all. But Jesus, he came, and he paid the price that you could never, ever pay, because you, uh, there is no way that you could ever measure up to what God has called us. And, he, and he, he lays that out, and he, he says, you can never, ever, ever measure up to it. But Jesus, he paid the price. And he, t- he talks about this, and it's, it says it's not, nothing that you could ever do 
Church, if you hear nothing else that I have to say tonight, and I, look, this is the beginning, so I'm hoping, you know, yeah, let's pay attention just a little bit longer, is this, listen to this. You can never, ever, ever earn your way into salvation. You can't. You could try all the best get help books, 25 ways to be fabulous. You could do all the things that you need to do that you think tick all the boxes. You could be the perfect looking Christian, but it doesn't matter unless you have Jesus is all for naught. It is all for naught. And so Paul lays all this out. So as I go into the practicality of all, you've got to remember that it starts with this whole thing of going, you have done nothing, it is all about Jesus. So he says, because of this, how are you supposed to live? And he calls them to walk worthy. Now that word, worthy, is, uh, it has kind of two definitions that go with it. It talks about balance or um, a life that is not in clashing uh, with something else. Like, as in, so it's, it's, it's a balance, but it's also uh, a non-clashing kind of thing. That's the technical word, you know. It's, yeah, well done, Luke. Yeah, I guess it's preacher. Anyway. anyway, so he calls us to walk worthy. He says, okay, because of what Christ has done, we now should walk in a way that is bringing balance to what he has paid for us. Right. Does that make sense? So he's saying your salvation is paid for. You can't, it can't be lost. It is you are there, you are in it. But he calls them to go, okay, now because of that, I want you to walk worthy. I want you to understand. What Paul is laying out there is this beautiful truth. It's this. You need to understand doctrine before you understand duty. Before you can ever do anything, you need to understand your position before you can ever go and do anything. And this is really important. This is an idea that is throughout all the Scripture. And in fact, it's actually beautifully laid out in Proverbs. And we'll just quickly jump there for a moment. In Proverbs, it says this. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, I think it'll come up on the screen. It says this. The proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, what Solomon is, is laying out there is something very important. He's talking about wisdom. And he talks about that uh, wisdom comes from the Lord. And he's talking about that we are to be wisdom, which is more than just understanding a moral law, but it's actually understanding um, how to make a right decision about all of life. And he lays out this, this doctrine here of, of what, uh, you know, what life is all about. And Proverbs is all about this thing. Because it, this, this is really important. Because what happens after that is he then he talks about, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. And, you know, wear it around your neck and all that kind of stuff. And in verse 10 it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
If they, come, if they say, come, come with us, let us lie, and, and he, he then goes and lays out all of this enticing that, that comes after him, he, he, he ends up saying that in the end, all of that life will lead to your destruction. But notice that he talks about the fact that there will be stuff in your life that will come and try and entice you. He says, they'll, they'll come and entice you, and they'll offer things to you. In Proverbs chapter 7, it even goes so far to say, it talks about this way of life as like a seductive woman. It says, and she's everywhere. She, you know, she wants to, um, she's in, the, in the, um, the marketplace calling to you, and it, it, it you know, paints this picture of this, like, this, this woman trying to chase them and, sed- and seduce you out of what life is actually all about. And he's, the answer to it is doctrine. The answer to being strong and being able to stand firm, being able to be someone who um, can stand against these, is, is listening to his father's instruction. To not be a fool. He, he, in, in verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word fool is a, a word that is someone who is out of touch with reality. Now, you want to be somebody who is in touch with reality? One, you have to have true wisdom, which the Bible says true wisdom comes from the knowledge of God. All other wisdom is futile because it only lasts in this world. But true wisdom lasts from the start of time to the end of time because it is fully reliant on God. So Paul is laying out this beautiful truth in saying this, that it, you must know doctrine before duty. And you look at it in your own life, right? The, you, you are living based on the doctrine of your life, on the principles of your life. Everything you do is based on the things that you've learned about and studied. Like, so just recently, me and a group of friends have we've gone on the bandwagon of this thing of having like cold showers every morning. Has anyone else heard about this? Is anybody else doing this? Oh, you know what? Don't do it. It's horrible. <laughs> no, do it. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. Anyway, uh, apparently it's supposed to be really good for you. And they, they've done all these tests on it and, and they've said that if you are someone who has like cold showers every morning, there's a higher chance that you are willing to like take risks and, and jump into things and, and be disciplined and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, you know what? I want to be a disciplined person. So I'm going to start my day with a freezing cold shower to prove the fact that, you know what, I'm disciplined, I'm going to do this. Now, the doctrine has dictated my duty in a very simple way. But your upbringing, the things that you've learned from your parents, the, your experiences you've had, actually dictate the way that you walk your life. Have a think about it. Even like if married couples, the fights that you have... The disagreements that you have are actually based generally on two individuals who've been shaped from two other individuals and, uh, and, and then trying to come together and make it work. And it gets a little bit messy, right? But you're living based on the doctrines of your life, the things that you've learned. So Paul is very, very, very uh, clear on the fact that doctrine dictates duty. I wonder, what is your doctrine that you're basing your life on? What is the thing that you're basing your life on? You know, as Christians, we are called to base our life on the Word of God. 
We're called to be people who, above all else, I'm saying above culture, I'm saying above your own preferences, your own feelings, that we are supposed to build our lives on this word of God. That's tough, but that's what we're called to do. Otherwise, we're submitting to something else. So he says, he lays that out. He says, your doctrine will dictate your duty. If you don't want to walk in a way that ends up not worthy, if you don't want to end up being pulled into, just as um, Proverbs says, the seductress's arms, then you need to start thinking about your doctrine. I'm here tonight to, to encourage you to think these things through. Open your word. Have a look at the first three chapters of Ephesians. What does it teach? Where is it leading you? So he says that because of all those things that have gone ha- beforehand, I urge you, which is like a beg, he, he's like, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then he lays out how they are supposed to walk worthy. Or what does it look like to walk worthy? And uh, let's have a look at that. He says, uh, to walk worthy from what, um, in which you have been called. In verse 2 it says, with all humility. Interesting. He's laying now a foundation for this church in Ephesus. Everyone say Ephesus is four times as fast as possible. Oh, you said that way too easy. Anyway. Uh, in, in Ephesus, and he's teaching them the foundation and how they're supposed to walk worthy. Right? You would think that he would lay out like power or, you know, like, I don't know, dominance or something. But he doesn't. He says that the worthy life starts with humility. Interesting, right? Humility. That is the way that we as a church should live, humbly. And, you know, I don't know about you, but that is very countercultural to what I see within the church and outside of the church. We live in a day where it's all about making myself look good and great. How can I dress the best? How can I make sure I get an extra head up above everybody else? How can, how, how can I be noticed? You know, like... Insta-famous is the, the big thing. Got to get the, them followers. You know, I, I found out, this is a while ago, but that you can, like, pay for followers on your Instagram. Have you seen that? You can set up, there's accounts set up that will, like, give you a thousand followers, so then you, like, got more cred. Like, it's all about, like, I want to be famous. I want to be popular. But what Paul is calling them to is to be humble. To be humble means to not think less of yourself, but to actually think about yourself less. And this is the bedrock of walking worthy. Because remember, it's based on the fact that Jesus died for you and had nothing to do with your own works. It had nothing to do with anything you could ever do. It was wholly based on Jesus. You were made alive by his spirit. It's a gift. And so he's like, why would you have any reason to be the opposite of humble, which is proud? Now, proud is all about glorifying yourself and making yourself look great. But he's saying that the foundation of your life should be one that is humble. How are you going at it? Because I could tell you, I ain't doing great. 
this is something that I think is a, is a very big challenge, especially if you look at like within the Western world, and I'm sure most of you in this room are very competent people. You know, like I, could, I, can, I can make things go okay. You know what I mean? Like I can make ends meet. But humility is getting to the point where you're like, Do you know what, I, I, I need Jesus. And anything valuable in my life is from Jesus. And this is the bedrock of the church. This is how we all get along. Because we're humbly serving each other. Because you imagine if we all, it was like flip side of that, like it's all about being proud. How do you reckon the church would go? <laughs> it would not go well because we'd all be vying for up here in some way, shape or form or some other way that we could get our own glory. But we're called to live humbly, to lay ourselves aside and be people that think less about ourselves. If you think about it, that's what salvation is all about, is humble submission to a saviour. So he lays down that. He says humility, 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 humility is key. It's the, it's the, the foundation. Now you've got to look at these, these words that we're going to look at together actually as like stepping stones. They all build upon each other or they all create one another. So humility, which uh, breeds the next thing, which is gentleness. So this, to work, walk worthy of the cross is to be humble and gentle. Don't you, find that, don't you find that interesting? Like when I was reading this, this kind of just shattered my world for a second. Because I'm like, this is just a whole upheaval to the way that like, I see life. We're called to be humble and gentle, and humility breeds gentleness. What runs through your mind when you hear the word gentleness? I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in a home with uh, two other brothers, and um, trust me, gentleness did not reign. <laughs> it was chaos. It was, we, it was just, you know, good, good times. Like, we got along well, but it was just WrestleMania 24-7 and just, like, whatever you could do to kind of just, like, get ahead. I remember one time we were playing cricket in our front yard and we had this big giant tree in our front yard with, like, these massive, like, spikes on the branches. And um, we were playing cricket and I was bowling to my younger brother and he uh, hit the ball by fluke, clearly, because I was bowling. But, and it goes up into the tree and... Um, and um, we're like, oh, I've got to get it down. And it's this big, like, spiky tree. And so being the loving brother that I was, I was like, I'll get it down. So as I'm walking up, I grabbed the two milk crates, which, um, you know, perfect platform. And they were also our wickets because, you know, we're a typical Australian family. Other than the bin, they were the, our constant wickets, right? Put it up there. As I'm reaching up to get the ball, now remember, I'm getting the ball down for him. He decides to kick the milk crates out from underneath me and double-dack me. <laughs> All with the perfect timing of my friends riding past on their bikes, coming to join us to play cricket, and they just kept on riding. It's <laughs> oh, too much. I can't deal with this. And then he just bails. And I'm hanging from the tree by a spike in my arm for the world to see. Gentleness did not reign in our household, I tell you that much. <laughs> no, siree. Uh, the word gentleness is synonymous with the word meekness within the Bible. 
Jesus, in fact, in the, the famous Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, verses 5, he actually commends the meek. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It was so important to Jesus that we would be meek. So what is it? You know, uh, secular dictionaries uh, define it as timid, a deficiency in courage or spirit. But that is far from what the Bible uh, defines it. There's actually a, 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 the Greek word proteos, which translates to our word gentleness, and it means mild spirit, mild spirited, or self controlled. It is the opposite to vindictive or vengeful. It's within Jesus' character. In, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it talks about that. In Galatians five twenty three, it's it's uh, noted as one of the key fruit of the spirit, one of the fruit of the spirit that comes from love. There is nothing uh, weak or cowardice in weak, in uh, in meekness. In fact, the same Greek word was used to talk about a tamed animal. So like when they were talking about like a tamed lion, they used this word. Now think about that for a second. That the, what meekness and what um, gentleness is about is having loads of power, but not using it to overpower. It, has, it is, has all the potential. You think about a lion. A tamed lion still has all the potential to savage everyone in this room. But yet, it is under self-control. True biblical meekness is having self-control. It's having the ability to control your feelings, to control what is really within you. It's power under control. Under the control of God. Meekness is not something that we should be actually shy of or scared of or you know, look down upon. It is actually something that we should all be striving for in our walks with God. To walk worthy. Because he's saying this, rather than using your power to bring glory to yourself, control that power and submit it under God. You still have all the potential in the world. You still have all of the um, ability to be able to um, exert power, but you're allowing God to have control over that. This is controlling your anger. This is the ability to not flap your gums when you hear a good gossip story. That's gentleness. You actually think about it, most of the people that you want to spend your time with is someone who is actually gentle. Who actually, you want to be friends with that person. And, and Christ calls us to live this way. And, and, and can I be real for a second here? Like, too much within our culture, we try and exert our power over other people for our own benefit. We manipulate we, we do whatever we can to, to push ourselves on people so that we can look great. It's, it's horrific, it's horrendous, and we as the church must be different. If you are trying to use the church and the people around you to push your own agenda, that is the opposite of what meekness is about. If you're in your marriage and you, you know that if I just get a little bit angry and show a bit of fury, that'll shut her up, you need to stop. It's not walking worthy of the cross. 
We are called to live differently to that. We are called, because of what Christ has done, to wait. Now, that doesn't mean then that this power is just like thrown aside and we never use it. You look at Moses. He was a shy flower. But he had the courage to be able to call Pharaoh out. You look at Jesus. He was humble and he laid himself aside, but he was willing to call out those uh, religious leaders who had warped and twisted the truth. It's allowing that power to be used at the right time for the right purposes. So being able to be meek is understanding that all power actually comes from God. In Proverbs chapter 16, um, verses 32, it says this. It may actually come on the screen. It says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Church, we need to be gentle. We need to be meek. We need to have the ability to have some self-control. So my question to you is, how are you going with that? And I hope that's a challenge to you because it's a challenge to me. As I was preparing this, it just hit me fair between the eyes of, I need to live my life worthy of the cross. So next, it says that humility breeds gentleness. And gentleness breeds patience. Patience requires humility and gentleness. You think about it, when you're impatient, it is because you are in a a rush to get something done or you want something to happen on your time. But humility and meekness is understanding that you are on God's time and you just need to just trust Him. Patience uh, is the ability to have long-suffering or long-tempered. You think about within the Bible, Noah took him 120 years to build a boat in the middle of nowhere where they'd never seen any water from a rain perspective and it, for 120 years. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but I would imagine that he would cop a fair whack of that guy's looping, right? That would take patience. 120 years of that. That is long-suffering, Patience. Patience requires us that when the tough is is when things get tough, when you feel like the weight of the world is on you, you are able to stand strong. When financially you you are feeling like you you don't know how you're going to make ends meet, when you your life is feeling like it's a mess, you have the ability to be able to stand strong. And more than ever, Christians, it is going to require of us, the way that culture is going to be patient, to have this ability for long-suffering. Because more and more, I don't know if you are aware, but freedom of speech is getting squished a little bit. And so to, to, to be a Christian, it's, it's going to get tougher and tougher. And I want to encourage you to be patient. Be strong, looking at Christ and what he did for you. A beautiful picture of this is actually Isaiah. If you look at his story in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God 
And he has this incredible moment with God, and it says he sees these angels, and um, you know he gets this point where he's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm a mess," because he's come face to face with God, and he's like, "Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips." And and then this uh, angel, the seraphim, comes down and and touches his his lips, and he says, "Behold, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for." And Isaiah is like. What the heck is going on? And then I love this. It, in verse 9, it says, And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I love that. It's like just Isaiah there. You know, and he'd just been like, had this incredible moment with God where he realized, I should have been wiped out by God because he's holy and righteous and I am far from that. He's atoned my sins. Amazing. As in, I can now stand before him. Like, and he's like, hmm, who shall I send? I don't know. Who shall go? And Isaiah's like, I'll go. You know, like it's like this beautiful picture of, and but it's interesting, right? He he says to him, right? Then I say to him, here I am, send me. And he says, go and say to his people, this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and they blind their eyes, lest they see with their uh, eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie in waste, without inhabitants, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. Now, there's a lot going on there, but what God is calling Isaiah to do is he's like, I am calling you to go and suffer. I am calling you to go and tell the people that, I am, that you need to obey and you need to follow me because otherwise it's going to end out poorly for you, but they're not going to listen to you. Isaiah goes and does it anyway. You know, we as a church, we need to keep this in mind as we are to stand, stand for the cross and stand for the truth of this. We're, we're encouraged to live in patience. But if we were to look in within our own worlds, we're encouraged to live in patience with everyone around us, with your friends and with your family, with the, with the people who are within your church. We are, we're called to, to be patient with each other, long-suffering. That means that if someone ticks you off, it doesn't mean you're just going to cut them out straight away. That requires humility, and it requires gentleness. He calls them to be patient, and, and then he goes forward and he says this, um, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He wraps up in these four things that he is calling them and showing them what walking worthy looks like. He wraps it up with forbearing love. See, this requires humility, which requires gentleness, which requires or creates patience. <clears throat> that we're to bear with one another in love. Now, this is actually the perfect picture of what love is. We are called to love one another. with actually a really kind of a different love to what we actually see in the world around us. The, the, the love defined, by, uh, defined in the Bible is a self-sacrificing love. That's what actually love is about. It's self-sacrificing. It's putting yourself aside and going, you know what? Everyone else, go before me. That's fine. I'm going to be so willing to love the people around me that I am going to allow them 
to do what they need to do. This love is personified in Jesus. Think about it. He had all the power of God, but yet he lay aside all of that to come and walk the life that you and I could never live. He could have very much, in any moment, as he was being beaten, as he was being nailed to the cross, in any moment, he could have just gone, this is a waste of my time. Angels sort these people out. And within a second, they were just like dead. He created life and well and truly take it away. But he doesn't because of love. This incredible self-sacrificing love. And because now of what Jesus has done, it now means that you and I can go and live like that. A self-sacrificing love. And I just want you to like to encourage you is this. In every relationship, this is the love that we are supposed to give to one another. Self-sacrificing. Not looking for your own desires. Not looking to satisfy yourself. But absolutely willing to serve the person next to you. Loving someone so much that you will share the gospel with them. The good news that they are lost but can be found. This is what Paul calls us to do. This selfless love. The kind of love that prays for enemies, that gives coats to those who steal theirs from them, the kind of love that can turn a cheek, the kind of love that can, though you are rejected and reviled, the kind of love that you are willing to turn around and bless them. This is what it means to walk worthy. So church, this is what it means to walk worthy. In response to Now, I don't say these things to uh, heap burdens on you, but I say these things to push you towards Jesus. Because if it weren't for him and the sacrifice and the empowering that he gave us through the Spirit, there is no way that we could ever, ever walk worthy. And in no way, shape, or form was this, is this a, a push for any of you to, like, to add more to your life, of, you know, more pressure or anything like this. What this is, is, is all about is to encourage you to go, this is what, what God has called us to do. But it's in response to what Christ has done. And so as we spend the rest of our lives walking and looking to Jesus and the sacrifice he made, the fruit of our life will be actually to be able to walk this life. That as we look to Him and we see what He has made, it, it then causes us to go, I, I, I need to put myself aside in this situation and I need to bless those around me. Because the more that you fall in love with Jesus, the more that you want to be able to walk the way and within the manner worthy of what He's done. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.